And I just said yes, which I had just lived in the state of no for a long time. I didn't do anything that I thought would cause my pain to be worse. And I, yeah, I was too scared and I was too fearful to really do anything before that. So in this beautiful way, like the ending of that relationship was like, I didn't have that luxury anymore and I had to get off my ass and I had to like start doing things. And it's like the best thing that ever happened, you know? Is there something that is holding you back from creating what you were meant to create? Do you find yourself making excuses to not press the post button or to not even embark on a project at all? I mean, it's so easy to push back on opportunities out of fear or some other force that might be ruling your life, like pain. But what if we were able to persevere and create anyway? Think about what the world might gain because you were able to see the excuse for what it was an excuse. We talk about that and so much more on this week's episode of The Story Podcast. There are things meant for you that are currently beyond your imagination. The only way to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. Your greatest work may not be seen by millions of people. Keep making anyway. To be a writer, we have to sit down and we have to do the work and we don't get up until it's finished. The only hope we have are the stories we tell. Stories not bound by what is possible. We are proud to be storytellers. This week, Sammy Harvey and I sat down with Ruthie Lindsay. I am a speaker and stylist out of Nashville, and I get to host events, and which is like the most fun. And then I do a lot of marketing things for brands. Like they'll hire me to share my experiences and maybe show how I might wear style or whatever a product. So I get to do a lot of different things and it looks different all the time, which I love and works great for my personality. But the thing I love the most is definitely speaking. Ruthie is a speaker, stylist, and creative director. She's worked with brands like Free People, Urban Outfitters, and West Elm. But that success didn't happen overnight. In fact, she didn't even consider herself a creative person until she started saying yes to opportunities that came her way from friends. I mean, the very fact that she said yes to anything was a miracle. You see, Ruthie was involved in a car accident in high school that has left her in pain and caused her to walk through some dark days. Yet through this experience, she has been able to share her gift of community and beauty with the world. I had a very easy, beautiful, pretty um, charmed childhood. I always felt so loved and always felt so adored. And I had an amazing family and we lived on a farm in the middle of nowhere in South Louisiana and I had older brothers who were the greatest. And I thought everyone else's lives were pretty happy and charmed and you know everyone knew how loved they were. And I obviously had no clue about anything, but um, my senior year of high school, I pulled out in front of an ambulance and he hit me on my car door going about 65 and I broke a bunch of ribs and they punctured my lungs and my lungs collapsed and my spleen ruptured and I broke the top two vertebrae in my neck, C1 and C2. And I had 
like a 5% chance to live and a 1% chance to walk. Mm. But the ambulance driver saved my life. We know that I would not be here today if he had not been there. And I was on life support for a while and um, they fused my neck. I was in the hospital just for about a month. And then I kind of went back to life like as normal. I was... I didn't have um, any sort of residual effects at the time. Like I cheered at our last basketball game. <laughs> wow. I what was, what's the turnaround time? So it happened that? on November 2nd, which was okay. my dad's birthday. And I was lucky because it had Thanksgiving and Christmas to recover. And then like I went back to school after Christmas. What and, was that like going back to school after that? Um, I, Mostly the thing I remember the most, it's kind of a blur and I have a really horrible memory, but I remember being really embarrassed of my neck brace because <laughs> mm. I don't wear this huge neck brace for a long time. And I would like, I started taking it off way before I showed it. Like I would, when I'd walk down the hallway between classes, I would like take it off and just walk really still because I hated it so much. It was just vain. I mean, you know. I mean, you're in high school. Yeah. I, I can't imagine it had to be, everyone would know what was going on mm-hmm. and it would understand that you're wearing a neck brace. But right. yeah. And I can't, I am over six feet tall. <laughs> like I can't hide. <laughs> usually I don't even think about that. But then just, I looked like a toothpick and I would lose like a, I mean, I'd lost so much weight and I was, yeah, it was a scary sight. And so, but that's all I really remember. I was so happy. I'm so extroverted. And so I was so happy to be back with my mm-hmm. friends. And I, the impact of what had happened hadn't really hit me yet. I didn't, I used to, like, when I would even talk about it, it felt like it was in third person because my family remembers everything of me in the hospital, but I don't really remember any right. of it. Um, and so I had a very detached third person kind of idea of, like, it was almost fun for me to tell the story back then because I would forget about it all the time. And I'm like, this is a good story. And it's like crazy, but I had no, I could tell it like it had been someone else's experience because it didn't even feel like that was me, you know? It just felt like a cool story. Yeah. You weren't in a lot of pain at that point, No, were you? that's what's crazy. I really did not have, I mean, while I was in the hospital, I was on every, you know, I was hooked up to every machine there is and on a lot of pain medication. But I remember it was not ever that bad. Or I don't remember it ever being that bad. Um, I mean, like if I danced too much, I'd get sore, <laughs> which happened a lot. Um, but I really, I mean, I didn't have, it wasn't ever in the forefront of my mind. Like I might get a little tiny bit sore if I was too physical, but otherwise I never thought about it. Then what was the changing point? Well, I um, went on to college, the worst student that ever existed, um, but had I had so much fun. It was so fun. Um, <laughs> and then I ended up being offered a job in Nashville. My spring break of my senior year, I came down with my best friend from college who's from here and ended up being offered a job in Nashville. So I came here. Um, within that first year, I met my first boyfriend. Um, and my parents were so excited. He was a boy because they thought I liked girls. And I was like, no, I, I wish, but I don't. <laughs> and um, then... Like a year into our, we were married 10 months after we met. And then a year into our marriage, um, one day I was like walking in front of Starbucks and Smoothie King on Hillsborough Road. And all of a sudden this crazy shooting pain went up my neck. And I thought I fell, um, like I almost blacked out. And then I ended up vomiting. And this, um, it left me with this like crazy migraine. And that started happening a lot, um, more and more frequently mm. and more and more often. And I would go 
see all these doctors. I went to neurologists and orthopedic surgeons. And every time they'd see me, they'd have me do this MRI or CAT scan. I forget which one. And this black spot would come back on my films. And they'd look at everything around it. And they'd say, everything around it looks fine. That's just the wire from your spinal cord fusion interacting with the magnets in our machine. But everything around it looks fine. They tried me on a ton of therapies. Um, ton of therapies and nothing helped. And so eventually, because the pain started getting worse, um, they put me on really heavy pain medication. And, you know, I just didn't want to hurt all the time. So I took every single thing they recommended and that just intensified and made, I mean, I, at that point, like I just started living in my bed because I was like in such excruciating pain all the time. And it was just, it was a dark, dark, dark circle. I mean, like, because the more medicine I was given, like the pain was a little better, but I went darker, you know, and it was just a very vicious cycle. And pain became my all-defining, all-encompassing thought. You know, I, I just, I was completely defined by it. And I didn't, like, I would try to have conversations with people and I literally, it's like I couldn't even hear them because I'd just be like, I'm hurting, I'm hurting, I'm hurting, I'm hurting. And, um, yeah, I mean, can you imagine how hard that would be for a partner? Yeah. Oh like, my gosh. I can't, I mean, you know, I was 23 when he met me and I was this like lively, you know, vivacious, fun person. And then a year into our marriage, like this started and it was so hard. I mean, sweet boy, I can't even. Are you doing anything that you would consider creative at this point? No, I had no idea I was a creative. At that point, when people would ask me when I was a kid what I wanted to be when I grew up, I'd be like, a mom. Like unapologetically, <laughs> I'm like, and do not give me shit for it. Like that is what I want to be, so go away, you know? And I didn't, I wasn't, um, I didn't grow up in a creative home. I'd never taken an art class. I didn't, um, I was in a very small town, like sports were the only thing, you know, really offered. And I don't sport. I'm like the biggest waste of a tall human. They like try to make me play basketball and I'd block a shot and apologize. And she made me run stadium. And I'm like, I just want to dance. But I was this height and I was actually good at it, but I hated it. Not a competitive bone of my body. I just didn't know. And I dressed kind of quirky or whatever. And so people would ask me a lot if I was a creative and I'll just be like, no, like I, I what did you, what did you think that meant? Exactly. I had a very closed mind. Like I didn't play music. I didn't create anything with my hands. I didn't take photos. I didn't paint. I didn't. So like, and then I was married to an incredible musician. So I was in a creative community and I'm like seeing the art that these humans are creating. And I'm so in awe, but I'm like, I can't do any of those things. And but it was it was interesting. I was like so drawn to the arts, even as a kid. Like I just was always so drawn to beauty in whatever form. Like obsessed with beauty and just would like seek it out. But I just I had no idea that I could create it. And it wasn't until, well, we'll get to that part. But I ended up finding out I had to have this like really gnarly surgery, and my dad had passed, and I was like in this like trauma mode season. And I was like, I have to do something. I knew I was going to be in my bed for a long time for the surgery. And if it didn't go well, like even longer. So I wanted my room to feel like in my head, I'm like, I just want it to feel like a beautiful big hug. Like I want to be wrapped up in love and mm -hmm. beauty in this space. And so as a way to focus on not the trauma that I was living in at all times, I started like playing on the internet and just trying to find deals. And I would like make myself get out a few times every other week or so and, you know, search for things on Craigslist and whatever. And I started decorating my space for the first time. I'd always had other people help me do it. And I got really into it. And then 
Um, a friend ended up coming through town and taking photos of it, and it ended up being on a lot of different design sites, and people thought that's what I did. And I was like, no. And people started asking me to help them. I'm like, I can't help you. I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I have no experience, and my body can't handle it. Like, So I always just said no. Um, but it was that really beautiful thing. Like In that season, like other people told me I was creative and told me I was good at it. And I was like, Really? Like, I had no idea, you know? So that was like this. Did it make you excited or nervous or? It, um, I didn't, I was still in such kind of trauma mode. I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't like spend too much time. I, it was just kind of the sweet, like, oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. I didn't huh. know. That's really cool. Was there you know? a time where you feel like, oh, I believe them now that you can think back to where there was, you know, like this epiphany moment where you're like, yeah, they're right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it wasn't until a few years ago, though. Like, I had been in a relationship for a really long time, and when that ended, I, at that time, I just didn't have the luxury of fear anymore. I I couldn't worry that I didn't know what I was doing and that I had no experience. I couldn't worry about how my body would handle it. And so, but I had not a penny to my name. (laughs) I had no money, and I had no prospects of getting money, and I didn't want to move home. And I was lucky enough to live in Nashville and surrounded by creatives who believed in me before I did. And they, like were just so supportive and they're like, no, like you are good at this. Like you, the way you decorate your homes, like we want to help get you there. And so my brother like paid for me to get a website and I um, just started putting that out there. I felt like I was the biggest fraud because I'm like, I'm going to tell people I'm a decorator, but I'm not a decorator. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. But it's, it was this funny, like I just kind of was going through the motions and friends started um asking me to help with things. And I mean, I wasn't making money at first, but I just said like, yes, even though I was scared to death. And I, yeah, I just started saying yes. And I started an Instagram account. I started posting things that I love doing. Like I'm obsessed with flowers. I don't know the name of one. I couldn't grow one to save my life, but I love putting them together and they give me so much life. And I just love, yeah, I love arranging them and I love hosting and I love bringing people together, I realized one of my best gifts is seeing other people's gifts and knowing who would work well together. Like I, I'm just lucky enough to know these people and they make me look way better than I am at anything I do because they're so good at what they do. And I just know who would work well together. Like, like, oh my goodness, you're so amazing at cooking and you're so amazing at taking photos and you're so amazing at video and, you know, whatever and whatever. And um, I love bringing the humans together and creating the space and making it feel beautiful. And I want to create it in a way that's like, it's just really conducive to connection and, um, yeah, just make wanting people to feel really loved and valued there more than that it's pretty, you know, like that's my heart behind it. But I just started doing that and I started like posting about it and people started asking me to help with theirs. And so, and I just said yes, which I had just lived in the state of no for a long time. I didn't do anything that I thought would cause my pain to be worse. And I, yeah, I was too scared and I was too fearful to really do anything before that. So in this beautiful way, like the ending of that relationship was like, I didn't have that luxury anymore and I had to get off my ass and I had to like start doing things. And it's like the best thing that ever happened, you know? Do you remember the first project that you did for someone else? And then when they, when they walked up and said, this was, this is incredible. This is amazing. And how that felt. Well, there's ones that I did that it, I wasn't being paid for <laughs> that those things. Would the creative happen. community knows nothing about that. Exactly. We never do things that we don't so get our, for. But it felt different <laughs> when, because I, I felt a different pressure when it was like this budget that I had, you know, for like this big brand that felt different than the success of like 
it, it just felt like a, a higher cost or something. Like if I mess this up, I'm in trouble. You know, whereas before <laughs> it was like, of course I want to do a good job. I did a um, I did a party in my backyard for free people, and I brought the people together and um, we had this beautiful dinner and then I brought in my friends that um, were in this band called Sugar in the Hilos and they played in the backyard and it was like one of my favorite nights and, and two when I was a kid we didn't have much money at all but I like for every birthday and Christmas I would ask for a piece of clothing from free people for me that was like the end all be- like it, it, they were so beautiful to me and it felt special to me to get a piece of clothing from them so then for to have them come to me and ask me to do this thing it felt and they did a video on my story with it also and they filmed that night and interviewed me and it just felt like oh my goodness like what in the world like it it, it felt like this full circle kind of moment because I, when I was a kid that was like the end all be all you know and then I'm like they want to hire me to do this thing you know so it was just and it turned out beautifully I just remember sitting in my backyard like looking around and seeing like all these humans that I love so much and who have believed in me way before I ever believed in me and just walked with me through so much and they're all here with me sharing this like beautiful night and there were fireflies everywhere I'm like I am living the best life of my life what is (laughs) happening this is crazy I just don't even know what to do with myself My favorite thing about being around you is that you bring so much joy and life to every room. And what's amazing is whenever I think about it, you still live with this pain in your life and your body, but despite it, you're still like more active and more joyful and than I feel most days. And that blows my mind. How do you how do you, do you consciously have to make a decision like every time you go out or with other people to choose joy or to choose to live despite the pain? Yeah. There's a context now for my joy, you know? A few years ago, I started getting messages or people on Instagram being like, you you have such a fun life and you're so happy and I want your life and I want to live your life. And, um, you're you know, I felt sick and nauseous when I would get these messages because they um, didn't know at that time, like, you know, I was walking through a divorce and my dad had recently passed away and I have pain every second of every day and I lived seven years in my bed, you know, and, but I learned to be different and to live differently. And so I needed to give them like the context Mm -hmm. for my joy of like learning to live with joy. Um, And so I ended up writing everything out because I was like this. I remember living in my bed and looking on Facebook and looking at it and thinking like, I wish I was out living my life and playing with my children and not laying here hurting all the time, you know, and I need to give them the full picture and the full story of like, because you can live such a full, beautiful life in the midst of your suffering and more so like because of it. Um, So basically, um, I got married and a year in, I had that shooting pain and it took the doctors almost, I guess, four or five years to finally like have one doctor say, well, I'm not gonna tell you what's going on until I see what's under that black spot. And basically a $50 x-ray showed that one of the wires for my um, spinal cord fusion had broken and pierced into my brainstem. And um, I'm apparently the only person that's ever had that. Um, that all the doctors that's all like, 
you should be paralyzed. If we don't get it out, you will be paralyzed. But the surgery itself was also super high risk of paralysis. And because no one had done it, everyone had a different idea of how to do it. And it was just terrifying and traumatizing and awful. And How long ago was that? That was in 2009. Okay. 2009. So, and um, yeah, I'd gotten married in 2004. Okay. So I was freaking out. I kind of just stuck my head in the sand. I came home and like started reading Harry Potter again and hung out with Hermione and Ron and, and Harry <laughs> and lived in make-believe land, you know, because it was so traumatizing. Can you imagine having Ruthie's experience? I can't. Maybe some of you can because you or a close friend or family member shares some of her experience with pain and suffering. As she continued to share her story with us, she spoke of her experience of eventually having surgery, experiencing even more pain due to some nerve damage, yet grateful to just be walking. Regardless of the gratitude she felt for not being totally paralyzed, she found herself in bed, again, ruled and defined by her pain. Eventually, she hit a wall. But what was the turning point in her story? My husband was on tour in Australia for a long time, and I couldn't take care of myself anymore, and my friends kept having to take me in the emergency room. And finally, like, it just, I hit a wall. I could tell my marriage was coming to an end, and I hit a massive wall. Like, I finally told my family how bad it was, and they, like, came and got me and brought me home because I couldn't take care of myself, and I stopped sleeping. And I, um, I've never known shame like I did. Like I'd always been such a good kid and um, I'd never gotten in trouble a day in my life. And I was here, I was like, not just like a nightmare. Like I was, I was like crazy. Like they were talking like about sending me away for help. Um, it was so terrible. I have never felt so just shame. Like I've never known. And I mean, I went 20 something days without sleeping, which makes you psychotic. Like I, somebody told me once that like when people go to rehab, oftentimes they'll try to keep themselves awake because it's the closest thing they can get to like a out of their mind kind of feel, you know, from the drug. And like uh, that makes so much sense to me. Like it makes so much sense to me because it was just I was crazy. And and I think hitting that big of a wall, I knew like it was so scary. And the idea of them sending me away was really my biggest turning point because I was so I was so afraid and. I remember my brother having a conversation. He was like, you know, you can lay in your bed and hurt all the time or you can like get up and go be with people and love people and hurt. And like, you know, what's your better option? <laughs> like, Where did you go from there? I had to relearn how to live. Like I would write down things just so I could scratch them off, but things that I would make myself do like 8 a.m., you get out of bed and you put your feet on the floor and you don't get back in that bed until it's dark outside. Then you make your bed. And at 805, you brush your teeth. <laughs> you take a shower and do something for someone else. Um, and I had to like make myself do those things. I had to make myself shower. I had to make myself eat a meal. Um, and I would scratch it off. And it was literally one thing at a time. And and I made another list of things that I remembered loving before I pain. And I like made myself start doing those things again because I was like, you love sunsets. But at that time I felt numb 
and black inside. And I couldn't feel any of those emotions, but I made myself start doing them. You Mm. love flowers, go pick flowers and bring them to someone. And it was so beautiful because like, as I made myself do these actions, slowly the emotions started coming. And I was like, that was a huge teaching moment for me, you know, because I think we think like once I'm happy, I can do this thing. And I was like, just you have to do these things because you love them. And now it's like, I can't see a sunset without wanting to cry because I'm like, one, I didn't see a sunset for so many years, you know? And so sunsets to me just bring, it's like the most life-giving thing. And it's just such a gift. Like each day, it's this beautiful reminder. And so as I started doing these things, and I also at that time, like I told y'all earlier, I was so defined by my pain. I started thinking, I tried to just start thinking differently. Like whatever I was doing was not working. And I was a effing nightmare. So I had to change everything. It's like my pain is going to be this thing that is a piece of me. It doesn't have to define me anymore. I started reading as much as I could about those things. And I remember thinking like, I don't want people to leave me and feel sorry for me. I want, I want when people leave me, I want them to feel seen and I want them to feel loved and I want them to feel cared for and not like, sorry for me. You know, and this beautiful thing as my pain became just a piece of me and not who I was, and it, as it wasn't the thing that I was leading with anymore, people stopped seeing me as pain. Like, I can't remember the last time someone asked me how I was feeling. <laughs> and I love that. Like, because that is, you know, my pain is worse now. Um, but it is just, it's a piece of me, and it's not who I am. And my pain now is this thing that, like, brings connection with other people like it's given me eyes and a lens to like actually see people and like enter in with people in a way that I could have never done before it gave me like pain has given me empathy and I remember in that time hearing the my favorite quote um the deeper sorrow carves into your being the more joy you can contain and I was like oh my gosh that is gonna be my story And I realized, but I knew that it had to be a choice because I'd been living with pain for a long time, but I was stuck in it. Like I was defined by it and I couldn't see out. And it made me so selfish and self-absorbed and just consumed. And I realized like, but we can also choose to not let it make us hard and cynical and angry and bitter. We can choose to let it make us like softer and more whole and more joyful when we actually stop trying to escape it. Because I had just been trying to numb it. I had been on every drug. All I did was watch trashy television and eat my feelings and like <laughs> do anything to avoid it. And then all of a sudden I was like, I was, you know, I couldn't, on no drugs, <laughs> you, you can't avoid it. What happened next? I changed. I literally, I just, I had to change because I know if I didn't, I, w- I wanted to die. And that was my alternative. Um, So I went the other extreme. (laughs) And it was like, I felt alive again. I felt, um, I felt excited about life again. I felt this like, I started searching, like I felt like my full-time job became looking for beauty and speaking it out loud 
in every circumstance, like with people. Because I think I also realize we're going to find what we're looking for. If I think someone's going to be the worst, they will be the worst. And I will find every awful thing that they're, because we're all both. (laughs) Sure. We are the worst and the best, (laughs) you know? But when I was like, I started like seeking, like looking for the beautiful things in humans and looking for the beautiful things in my surroundings and the beautiful things in these experiences. And not just like looking for, I started sharing them. You know, because so often, like, A, no one is ever bummed by a compliment. Ever, 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 ever. No one's bummed. It might make them feel a little funny, but no one's bummed. And it's like the most life-giving thing, you know. And as I was doing it, it just became, it was like life-giving to me, too, you know. It's like, oh, my gosh, look at this sparkly, shiny star of a human. Like, look at how incredible they are. And I want to be a mirror and, like, show them how loved they are, you know because I know how loved I am. You said something earlier I would love for you to expand on. You said we get to teach other people how to see us. What do you Mm, mean by that? That's cool. I mean, I saw it so truly. Like if we walk into a room and think everyone's thinking about us and like, you know, feel super insecure, like that is exactly how other people will see you. You know, like they are a broken, you know, I need to, or... I mean, think about it in work. Like, if we believe we have something beautiful to offer a client, they're going to believe we have something beautiful to offer sure. them. You know, if yeah. I come in and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. and Because I don't usually know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, that's just the <laughs> truth. But, like, learning our value and what we have to offer this world and what I have to do is, like, I have something special just like they have something special that no one else but them can bring, you know? And so I think I just realized, like, I... One had a lot of entitlement around pain, um, and I was so defined by it. I didn't think I deserved it, and woe is me. And, you know, I that's what I gave everyone. And so literally I couldn't leave someone's presence without them being like, how are you doing? Are you feeling okay? Like, oh, how's, you know, and it also came out, like, for my husband, which would is so hard like when he would see people they'd be like how's Ruthie not like how are you doing you know Mm. because it was just a and it was a very public thing too you know because it was a freak I mean I'm I'm the only person that's had it you know so it was public and it was um and I found comfort in that but yeah I think if we choose to lead with like the beautiful parts of us and choose to believe the beautiful parts of it. I remember some, a counselor once telling me like, you know, that old like Indian idea of like, there's a black wolf and a white wolf. And um, the black wolf tells you all the horrible things about yourself. And the white wolf speaks truth and speaks how loved we are and how amazing and worthy and valued. And someone asked the Indian chief like, well, which one do you listen to? And he's like, the one we feed. You know, so if we believe all of these horrible things about ourselves and we tell ourselves these horrible things and we let ourselves, that is exactly what we're going to lead with and believe about ourselves. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the psychology behind any of it to explain why I said that or, but I just, I stopped um, leading with pain, you know, and leading with this lie that I'm going to live the rest of my life in bed. And I will be my pain for the rest of my life. And that is all that I have to give to this world. Like, that is a lie. And that is a black wolf. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, yeah, I don't, I, my, the best compliment I think I can get 
um, is when my closest friends tell me they forget I'm hurting all the time. Mm. And I'm like, oh, I love that so much because, mm. you, you know, I am. But that is just one piece, you know. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you feel like you see other friends of yours in the creative community who may not be living with the level of pain that you live with every single day? Do you see them sometimes fall into the same trap of allowing their pain to define them? And it could just be something as simple as like a breakup or a relationship problem or financial problems. Yeah, we all do it. (laughs) Yeah, I can still do it. I mean, yeah, I see it all the time. And What do you say to them? Well, I don't give unsolicited advice to people. (laughs) (laughs) That's just not really my my thing. Pretend they asked you for advice. Yeah, I mean... It depends on the person. Like I wanna, I wanna hold space for people because like that is our. Everyone has their own journey. I lived there for seven years, you know, and um, I wanna hold space for people to suffer and be in that. And Mm. like it, you know, it's real and pain is so real and it's so relative. And I don't ever look at someone like your pain isn't my pain. Come on, you you can do this. Is ridiculous. Like that is a Mm. breakup, you know, because that is. One, that's a lie because yeah. pain is pain is pain is pain. And it is relative. It's, you know, it's a relative thing. Like someone else's depression can be the most, I, I, you know, that is a debilitating, hard thing. And that is nowhere more less than what I live with. You know, like I, I will not compare our pain. Yeah. It's like, who am I to say? I'm not I'm in your not. body. Yeah, yeah. Well, even the terminology we use sometimes, like we choose words like, oh, that's not real depression. You want Ugh. me to show you what real depression is, is... or what real pain is? It's mm. like it doesn't, just because it might be slightly less on a scale, there's might be a five and yours might be a nine that you're living with. It doesn't make that five pain no. not real, right? It's so real. And it's so, um, it's their existence. It's their life, you know? And, and so I try to, I don't, I try very hard. Um, I'm trying to be a better listener. And then I also, um, I want to be able to, I love Cheryl Strayed. She's my most favorite ever, ever, ever. And in Tiny Beautiful Things, she has this chapter, the second chapter, which I've probably read 20 times and read it to so many friends because it's so important. But she talks about, you know, this girl is going, she had had a um, miscarriage and she asks her for advice. And one of the things she says, she's like, you know, I feel like I should be over this by now and I shouldn't be hurting still. And someone even just said like, it's just a miscarriage. Like, it's not like you had a baby, you know, which Mm. I want to kick them in the ovaries. Like, give me a freaking break. That is damaging and damning. Like, don't. But anyway, I, she said, um, you know, first she just empathized with her and then said, um, these people are saying that they live on planet earth and you are living on planet. My baby died. And you need to go find people that live on planet my baby died. Because that tiny exchange of someone else who knows, you know, those words like you too. <laughs> like there is no more beautiful words in the English language to help people not feel alone. It can become the thing that makes them so much better and so much softer and so much more whole. So I want to look at them in the eye and say, there is so much hope for you. Like, this is like the beginning of your story, not the end. In many ways, Ruthie's pain and her creativity have been friends. Her pain has played a role in her creative process 
and getting out of bed to do creative work has also played a role in helping her see her pain differently. I was curious what encouragement she would give to anyone listening who may be struggling to just get out of bed, maybe not even because they're in pain, but maybe because there's something that is just keeping them from creating. There was a discipline that Ruthie had to find where she decided that eight oh whatever she was going to get out of bed and do the thing that she was meant to do. I loved her closing words of encouragement to those who can relate to her struggle. It is so hard, and I will not pretend like it's not, and I still struggle with it. But I, um, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, like going through the motions and doing something when the emotion's not there and you feel numb inside and you feel like you have nothing to offer, like that is a lie. And that is every artist's struggle, like every human struggle, you know? And there's something about, like I make myself do the hard things first. So I like wake my, when I wake up, I make myself put my phone on silent, which is makes me sweaty. I want to be playing on my phone, you know? <laughs> and I make myself write. Um, and I don't like it. I do not enjoy it. I don't look forward to it. But I do that first, and I get it out of the way. And what happens, it's not always inspiring, and it's not, but like if I'm disciplined and I make myself do this thing, what can come from that and what ultimately does is so, it's so valuable. Um, I think that is my, like, just you have to show up and do it. Like it's never going to do it. It's like, it's so easy to think, well, I'll just put it off. And one day when I'm inspired, like, no, the work has to come before the inspiration. Yeah. The action has to come before the emotion. Like it's real rare for someone just to have this awe-inspiring moment. Like, okay. I mean that it happens and it's probably an act of God, but like what usually happens is you have to do the work and then the miracle happens. When people ask me, how do I get into styling or hosting or these things? And I'm like, first off, I'm the least strategic human you might ever meet in life. I am like the worst. The fact that I own my own business is comedic. I am the least business-minded. I hate, I just, I don't think that way. That is not enjoyable to me. I've never had a resume. I've never applied for a job. Y'all, I am like literally just chicken people. I don't know. But <laughs> I... <laughs> Like when people ask me those things, I'm like, A, please don't ask me how to build a social media. Like that, I have, I don't know. I can't tell you because I don't know. I did not set out to do that. But when like work stuff, I'm like, you know, I didn't study any of this and I am not a researcher and I don't like, yeah, again, like I feel like I'm sounding like a punk because I, it, I just feel lucky, but I, I never followed blogs. I've never followed, like, I don't read magazines. <laughs> I just do what I enjoy, but the thing that I know more than anything else, I'm like, you know, show up and be someone that other people love being around. Like, Mm. care about them. Um, Care about them because they're worthy of being loved and cared for, not for something you're going to get from them. Mm. Um, I think so often, and it's so hard, and I think we all have it in us, but it's so easy to, like, want to meet this person or do this thing to to get something from them. And we all feel that. Like if somebody wants something from you, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it feels yucky. I'm like, what about just like showing up and just like wanting to celebrate who they are as a human? And here's what's so funny. When we're not trying, they will give you everything. Like, and that's not why you do it. But like, if you just want to literally just like, I want to just love you because you are worthy of being loved. And I know how worthy I am of being loved. And I want to live out of that space. And like, when you're not trying to get something from someone or 
get somewhere through someone, you know? Because that's not love. That isn't love. Yeah, it's like an that's agenda. That's a self-serving agenda. Yeah. And I really I, be that person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just show up and just want to love people and be someone that others love to be around. Why do you think sharing your story has been so moving for people? And why do you think storytelling is important? Mm. I think for me, everyone has a story um, and everyone's story is important. Um, For me, getting to share my story is the thing, the thing that makes my pain feel the most purposeful. Like this is why I love speaking more than any other thing. Like I love all the jobs I get to do. I feel like literally the luckiest human in life. But the thing that makes my that makes getting off my heating pad every morning feel the most purposeful is when I get to look someone in the eye and like share this is my experience. Like we live in this universal world of pain. Like I know this person has pain. And if they don't right now, they have or they will, but everyone knows pain. And to be able to look them in the eye and like with such conviction know that there's so much hope for them. Um I think it's just, it's so easy for all of us to think, you know, once I get this boyfriend, then I'll be happy. Once I get this child, once I get this pet, once I get this house, once I get this new city, like this new job, that's when I can really feel joyful and happy. And it's, I think I feel so lucky to be able to look people with like so much conviction and be like, you get to be so joyful now in the midst of your suffering. Like the suffering is going to make it more so like so much more so and and there you know and all of the hope and the grace that surrounds all of that and all of our failures and all of our you know shortcomings like getting to share my piece of my story of learning that and knowing it's true for everyone else like that is why I think story is so important and that also universal thing we were seeing earlier of like you too mm-hmm. <laughs> I love getting to share my story because it frees other people up to be able to share their pain and their, you know, just knowing that like everyone knows suffering, everyone knows loss, and people think that being vulnerable and being and being authentic is going to throw people off and push them away by showing these like very exposing parts. And like it could not be more opposite. Like when we're honest and open and vulnerable with our black parts, you know, that are broken and feel painful and feel just dark. Um, it draws people in because they feel less alone. Mm, and that's, that's what so story true. does. It connects us. It's that you too moment. It's that, you know, this planet, you live mm. on this planet too. And there's hope for me in it. Like that is, that is my lifeline getting to do that. There is so much that we can learn from Ruthie's experience about being real and honest and vulnerable with one another. It just resonates so strongly with me as we continue to talk about the power of stories and how they allow us to connect and have those you too moments. Without them, this world would be a lonely place. So I hope that Ruthie's story will encourage you to continue to say yes to opportunities, stop making excuses, and keep telling your story because the world needs it. This episode was produced by Harris III. It was mixed by Chad Michael Snavely and music was written by Aaron Farmer. 
The Story Podcast is a production of Astoria Collective. Thank you for listening.